So today, we're in week two, I keep calling it chapter one, but it's week two, um, of creation and chaos. Um, so in literature, and we talked about this a little bit last week, every book has a beginning, a place where the story starts. We learn the characters, we learn the setting, we learn the plot, and the Bible is no different from that, and that's where we've been focused this week. And so the book of Genesis, Genesis means origin in Greek, or beginning in Hebrew. And so this is where, again, where our story starts in Scripture, but what began in these chapters? The universe began, life began, life of all living creatures, but also all living things. Names root to Genesis, families and tribes and nations, cities and languages, work and rest, art and culture, sin and redemption. We find the beginning of all of these rooted to Genesis. Except, however, one thing, and that is God. God existed before it all. And I think if we really stop and think about this, Genesis is so familiar to us that it's easy to forget and to kind of gloss over the reality of what we see in Scripture. And um, we can say it, but have we really thought about God existing before all but creating out of nothing? You may be familiar with the term ex nihilo, um, but out of nothing God created everything that we see and know. Um, but it's also the beginning of the rest of our story. Um, and I've reminded our, teach, our group leaders this morning this. I had to remind myself about it continually over the last couple of weeks preparing for today is that I want to stop every couple of verses and dig deep. And, I mean, there's anything from the literary structure of Genesis to the theological and ideological implications of Scripture, of different passages and discussions, ideas on uh, place and work relationships, gender, all of those things we can find rooted in these passages of Genesis, but that's not why we're here to study this semester, okay? Um, our goal is to look at the whole of Scripture this year, and so we're not digging into those things, but I want us, I don't mind if we put a pin in some of those questions that we have, and let's come back to them, whether it's in a study formally like this, or if we just have discussions on the side, or we say, you know what, just as women of the church, let's dig into this topic, because I mentioned it before, so much of what we we hear and we know and we see struggled with in our culture today, even in our church and the conversations that we have, we can find those answers if we find our way back to Genesis and look at Genesis as where God created all things. Um, and so there are some foundational things that I want to emphasize today, and we'll kind of, this is, even though we had the intro last week, this really is our introduction, and so it'll, it'll look and feel a little bit different. But I read this quote in preparation, and it says, the roots of all subsequent revelation are planted deep in Genesis, and whoever would truly comprehend that revelation must begin here. And so this author wasn't clear if he was talking about specific revelation or general re revelation. And specific revelation is revelation found in Scripture. That's specific revelation. General revelation is revelation that we find in nature and creation, available to all men. 
Now, we talked about in our leaders meeting this morning about the rainbow, how the rainbow is a very easy understanding of general revelation. And he's not clear on that, but I'm not sure it really matters if he's talking about scriptural revelation or revelation we find in scripture, because we know that it all still finds finds its beginnings in Genesis. And so, over the next couple of months, um, it is going to be impossible for our lecturers to go through every verse and every passage that we read during the week. Um, we will each focus on a specific passage or a topic um, or an idea that we find most purposeful for our discussion um, during these lectures. Um, but Genesis tells, we'll, we're in Genesis today, and Allison will be in Genesis next week as well, but it really tells some of our most familiar stories as Christians, um, stories that establish the foundation of our faith. Um, and we're, but one thing that we're not going to do as well, I'm kind of making these caveats at the beginning because it's really setting the foundation for where, how we approach the rest of our study this year, is that this is not an apologetic of Scripture. Okay, We're not here defending um, the inerrancy of the Bible. I'm approaching this, and our lectures are approaching this as if we all share that common foundation already. And so I want to make that clear um, now that we all, um, and we're approaching this, that we are all approaching Scripture as the inspired and errant Word of God. Um, But today we're focusing on chapter 1 through 3, because it's here that we find God's purpose in creation. Um, Although last week we did, we covered quite a bit more. Um, These 11 chapters are a prologue of what we're going to read in the, the the last part, the, I can't say half, the, of what becomes of God's covenant relationship with Israel um, and the call of Ab- Abraham in the last part of Genesis. Um, and Allison will look at that next week. But this is what I want you to, to think about. This is what I want you to remember as we look at these first three chapters is that Genesis is not about a, a book about me, and it's not a book about you, although we can find ourselves in it. Genesis is a book about God. It changes the way we read Genesis and all of Scripture when we understand that its purpose is to reveal God to us. Um, another favorite quote, um, it just kind of set the found this kind of stage as, I, as we prepared for this study, is that Genesis reminds us that the universe and all that it contains, particularly man, has its origin in the creative work of a sovereign God. And also that Genesis introduces us to this sovereign God and explains his plan for, creation, for the creation of man and how that divine plan will proceed and succeed even in the face of man's rebellion. Um, there's something about the idea of creative. I think of this every time I read God described as a creative. We think of him as father, warrior, judge, um, but do we think of him as a creator? And some of you in this room are creatives, creatives, and you know... Um, that it's a very, I have a, my twin brother is a creative, he's a graphic designer, and we think very differently, Um, but that God exists within all of these things is pretty phenomenal. Um, But I I think about the wonder that creation must have been for God, Um, and I really, I mean, like there was no, walls didn't exist, but to be that proverbial fly on the wall, how awesome would that have been to watch God create? Um, And so while Genesis is about God, it's also about his love and faithfulness to who he created, um, and who he created for a special relationship with him. And that's man and woman, okay, humanity. And Genesis also explains why we're here. That's the second part of the subtitle of our study, is Genesis explains why we're here and where we find ourselves in this world. And so 
we will see how God continually, over and over, is relating to and speaking to and offering mercy to the people that he created. But I also want you to see that we were created for a divine relationship with God. Um, He created us for a very loving and intimate relationship, a divine community, but mankind kind of thwarted that. And we rebelled against that relationship, which did result in judgment and discipline. But if you have that card, and it says on that card that God offers never-ending grace and faithfulness, still requires obedience, but never-ending grace and faithfulness that does offer a continually a new, a new redemption through his love, through Jesus, and that relationship that's, that's renewed. But I do want to look at some scripture. And in Genesis 1-1, if we take it at its core meaning, it's a summary verse of the next chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As we already said, he was the only thing that already existed that scripture records before he spoke. And so from that summary verse, we move really into what I think is a pretty amazing and powerful sequence of God's vision for the world. It says, Now the earth was without shape and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the watery deep, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. In the beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. I just clicked too early, so y'all can forgive that. Um... We really don't have a way to conceptualize. I tried to imagine that. Tried to imagine what would it look like for God to hover over the face of waters, but waters that weren't formed yet. And it's really impossible for our mind to begin to understand what that looks like because all we know is what we see, and that's something pretty tangible. Um, But what we do know is that God was. And so I I am... um, I tried to caution myself about making too many little, little rabbit trails, but we're going to take a couple of rabbit trails. Um, and I think this is pretty interesting because when you look at verse 2, the watery deep right here, in the original language, the watery deep, um, really the interpretation would be about darkness, of a void, um, of waste. And so we have the watery deep at the beginning, but as the Spirit of God moves, over the surface of the water, by the end of that verse, water is an indication, it's it's life-giving. And so as we look again at chapter 1, I want you to see that when God spoke, not only did amazing things happen, but it was in a specific order. Light existed and became distinct. We studied this and we read this, and y'all recorded this in in the tables. Light existed and became distinct. Water separated from itself the sky from the sea. Water was separated from land. The plants were created for the land. The living creatures were created for the water and the sky. And the mankind was created to rule over all of creation. Oh, there's the next bullet. (laughs) Strangely, I, I think I had shared that this study was a lot of fun for me because it's stuff that we've studied for so long. And that table of... The, the habitat and its occupants. That was for me, y'all, because that was, I mean, maybe we studied that in seminary. I don't remember it. It was new when I read it this time. And so I hope also as you find and you go through these questions that some of this is just going to be, some of it you'll know, and some of it will just be because we, we saw it first again. For, um, so that was, that was out of my own learning that I loved that. But also not only was there order, there was purpose. 
God created mankind in his image, male and female, to be fruitful and to multiply. We won't stay here, but what a statement really about the divine likeness all humans are created with. And I think that's something that we need to really sit with sometimes, is that all humans were created in the likeness of, a, of God. And y'all, and that's people we like and don't like. We agree with and don't agree with. All humanity was created in the likeness of God. Doesn't mean that we haven't strayed, that we haven't disobeyed, but um, it changes how we relate and how we have relationships with when we approach it with that understanding. And further purpose, um, noted the divine likeness, the dignity of all men. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that moves on the ground. He said, I now give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the entire earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed on it, they will be yours for food. And to the animals of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has living breath in it, I give every green plant for food. So plants were given for food for mankind and the animals. And so essentially, we owe our existence and the existence of the world and their function to God. All things have their being and purpose because of him. And yet it also says that he required, or it's been said that he required nothing for himself to create. And so because the origin of all things is in him, he has all authority to relate and govern in a way that brings honor and glory to him. I've heard so many times people are opposed to this idea that God um, does anything for his own glory. Isn't that selfish? I mean, that's how we approach it with human minds. But if you are a creator, you know that most often, I think, um, I know some of our artists who think who create um, through medium like that, it's a, it's a different process. But I know for people who are engineers, they create with a specific purpose in mind. And so as God, the one who created all things, who knows why they were created and ordered all things, it does bring glory to him when they work according to his plan. But also that there was a good result. And this always makes me smile when I read this. Um, you may have noticed that on the other days, God saw that it was good. And then when he finished creation, it was very good. And um, there's something about that. The work is done. Um, and he ceased working on the seventh day. There was no creation after that um, from God's spoken word. Um, we're going to move to chapter 2 next, but I wanted to stop at the beginning of chapter 2. This is an important, um, this is another one of those kind of, it's not a rabbit trail because it's very important to the structure of Genesis to understand this literary tool that's used. So a toldot, <laughs> I had to look up how to pronounce that because I want to say toledot. Um, it's not toledot, it's toldot. Uh, but it stands for these are the generations of, and if you are, your Bible may have these as headings, um, but this is, you'll see this, oh, I left my note in my office um, with all the verses. There are 11 instances that this is used to um, transition, and it's typically it's used with somebody's name that follows it. These are the generations of um, Isaac. These are the generations of or Esau. Or, um, so and then it kind of follows through and follows um, the family and what happens in those subsequent generations. Um, verses and chapters, except in Genesis 2, the very first holdout is about creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And so in Genesis 2, we read of what becomes of the heavens and earth and the subsequent fall of mankind. 
These are the generations. But in Genesis chapter 2, um, we see it reemphasized that God intentionally puts man on earth in the Garden of Eden to care for it and to maintain it. And he creates a clear hierarchy at the same time. So although man has dominion over all things, there is one thing he cannot do, and that is in verse 16 and 17. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Um, and from there, Adam names the animals. Now, again, this is kind of we're going back into creation. God has rested on, seven day, on, on the seventh day. And so in chapter 2, we're kind of stepping back to creation again. And we see a different approach in how to share the story of creation. And so we see that uh, God had created Adam. Adam is in the garden. God tells him clearly, do not eat from the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And then let's name, let's name the animals. And so as he named the animals, um, the creatures of the ground, um, that is when God says that no companion could be found for Adam. And I thought, again, one of those kind of interesting asterisks is that, um, I don't have this on, on the screen, the original Hebrew words for man and woman, you may have heard this before, is ish and isha. And we tend to think like that means, oh, woman, the feminine form of man. But that was a literary, again, those words are actually unrelated, uh, surprisingly enough. Um, they were really a literary kind of alliteration tool that Moses was using as he was writing. Um, so that's just kind of an asterisk. We can talk more about that. Um, but it's a wordplay that Moses was using. And so it's, and although we're not diving deep into the kind of literary structure, it's good to know and make sure that we understand as we read scripture to keep these things in mind. Um, how do we approach it as a story, as literature as well? But from these two people, Adam and Eve, man and woman, came all of humanity. A man and woman created in the likeness of God, but not as God, still dependent on him for sustenance, um, but with a unique relationship to God and a specific purpose as well. And so if we look at the creation story, just a summary of that story, it is that our origin story, Genesis origin beginning, begins with a creative and a powerful God that is in a divine relationship with mankind, and they exist in harmony. So as we are in Genesis, we have the, the opportunity as Christians in this world at this time to also look at the New Testament. And I want us to look at the New Testament because what a privilege we have to have the New Testament. Now, this is a long, long couple of verses, but bear with me because I think when we read this in light of, the, of Genesis, what, what richness it brings. The God who made the world and everything in it, who is Lord of heaven and earth, who does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives life and breath and everything to everyone. From one man he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move about and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring." So since we are God's offspring, we should not think the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human skill and imagination. Therefore, although God has overlooked such times of ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he designated, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the, bed, the dead. 
And so this is the God of the universe, the God of Genesis 1. It's also the God of our salvation. But in chapter 3 is where our story takes a turn and creates the cycle that we um, see and will continue until the Lord returns. But I want to remember that Genesis, again, although we see sin revealed in Genesis, is not a book about me. It is a book about God. And in Genesis 3, we see where the serpent turned woman's, woman and man's attention away from God. Satan knew how to tempt Eve. He knew God's law, and he twisted it. Is it really true? You must not eat from any tree in the orchard. And here's where temptation turns to sin. Eve knew the truth, but she added to it, if you remember in the next verse. You must not touch it. Did God say you must not touch it? Where do we do that in our own lives? Where do we find temptation even creep into our lives because we have added to the word of God? We hear stories and sermons, people asking about Adam. He was with her. Why didn't he stop her? We don't have that recorded in Scripture. And so I'll say instead that based on what we see here, um, that as women, Eve was the first person to be deceived. She had the knowledge. She had the truth. And she was seduced by what she didn't have. We've talked a little bit about that in our lessons today, ambition, and where that deceives us. Um, and in that want, in that ambition by by what she didn't have, she, saw, she really did set the course for mankind. The serpent's greatest tool was Eve's own desire. And so I asked myself continually, though, but why did God create a choice for Adam and Eve? Like, why did you put the tree? Why did you put the tree there? Um, and the only response that I've read, and this is not my supposition, this, I, I did read this, um, because it made sense to me, but it's also a caution um, and it's not, it's not on screen. Um, but I always, cons- like, always want you, anything that you read, any quote that isn't Scripture on screen, but even as you read Scripture, please read it critically. Read it against Scripture. Um, but it's, the statement said that as created beings in the image of God, a God who has free will, then we also have the right to choose since we are made in his image and he has free will. God and his desire for a relationship with Adam and Eve, two people who knew God personally, does not want puppets, but humans to choose freely. And so that, was, that has probably been one of the most easiest accessible understandings of why was, why was, there, a, why was there a tree? Why was there a tree in the garden? Um, but in Genesis 3.8, we hear, and uh, you may be very familiar with this verse, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, how many of you have understood the, this verse like God was taking a stroll, kind of in the evening, um, and he decided to look for Adam and Eve? Um, this is, a t- I'm telling you, this is why this has been such a good study, but because there's a couple of different interpretations that I read, and you see them on screen. Some, someone, uh, not someone, a, a translation of the Bible the Net Bible, um, describes it as the breezy time of day. But there was another one, and this author said, instead of breezy time of day or cool of the day, it should be described as in God, uh, the Lord God was walking in the wind of the storm. And it's like, what a different reading of God's approach to Adam and Eve in the garden. He showed up as a powerful windstorm 
to confront them. And so the sound of the Lord may actually be or refer to God's thunderous roar that often accompanies him in battle. Um, And so I read those verses very differently, and the questions that Adam and Eve asked and the fear that they showed and why they hid much differently when I think of God not as meekly walking in the garden, but as the creator of the universe, you know, in the winds of a thunderstorm. Um, Read Psalm 29, and you'll see a little bit more of how he um, thunders. And it'll kind of make you raise your eyebrows at what this must have felt like for Adam and Eve. Um, But there is a lot in these verses. Uh, Didn't God already know when he asked them? You know, we have these conversations all the time. Um, Adam's response, there was deflection in Adam's response. Eve's response, there was deflection. And so in my brain, I'm also wondering, what would have happened if they were honest? You know, what would have happened if they had been honest? But again, these are questions for us to remember for ourselves as well. Make sure we're honest. When God is confronting us with sin, Um, In scripture, accountability through other believers, let us be honest and answer truthfully so that he can then do a good work in us, um, redeeming us and recreating community. Um, But as we continue, um, verses 3, 14 through 19, we see God's curses. He speaks the first recorded curse to the serpent, not to Adam and Eve, it's recorded to the serpent. And then he speaks um, to Adam and Eve, the consequences of their actions and curses the ground as well. In verse uh, 321, we also see God's provision, Uh, his provision for their covering. And, uh, you know, they made coverings of leaves, so this is more substantial covering for them. He, um, Scripture says that the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, we don't have written proof that this, of where these skins came from, but it's pretty, I mean, it's popularly surmised that this was a first sacrifice. I think we have to be careful of not reading too much into this passage, but, I mean, in our our minds, it makes sense. Um, But regardless, it's an act that would have been unnecessary without sin. And then in verse 23, we see the consequences of sin, that man was expelled from the garden to work the ground that, he, that had been cursed. And this is a ground, we have to think back, just two chapters before, however long, we don't have an indication of time, but however long, this was the very ground that Adam had been creative, created out of, he was, it was ground now cursed, and that he would toil um, to work. And so God had a very creative purpose for Adam. It was to rule over the garden that was subverted by sin and ends with God's people being scattered instead of being in the garden with God. As they left, a cherubim or cherubim with flaming swords were set to guard the garden. Um, and whether literal, literal or figurative, this flaming sword represents separation from God. And so I think you can join me in kind of like that just sense of just dread of being sent away from God, the presence of God. And so you look back, and there's now a flaming sword where you used to be able to walk in the garden and commune with God and have a, a, a good and right relationship with him and be in his presence. Um, and so after Genesis 3, we do lean into the development of the first family, Adam and Eve. Uh, we see the development of clans and nations. Uh, we see the cycle of God's mercy. Man's disobedience, it's just nonstop. Um, But this is the hope in our future that we'll see continually unfolding, and it ends in Revelation. And this is, I want to make sure we saw this today. 
in Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, water as clear as crystal, pouring out from the throne of the God and the Lamb, flowing down the middle of the city's main street. On each side of the river is a tree of life, producing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more, and they will not need the light of, of the lamp of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And so as I read this, and I look at the future kingdom that will be on this earth, I read life and healing, reconciliation, and relationships. All the things we began with and we lost because of sin. Life and healing and reconciliation and relationships and worship. I think there, when we think about that future time, there's no doubt that that will be an easy and ready part of what we will do. And so this leads us into next week. The first 11 chapters of Genesis tell us the story of God and his purpose for mankind, but the impact of our sin. We focused on chapters 1 through 3 in order to really fully understand the consequences of our disobedience. Uh, but God, God's mercy leads to renewed fellowship. And so this is the cycle, um, that story arc that we have on those postcards, that our relationship with God, through our disobedience and suffering, we, we lost that relationship. Um, but God's mercy allows us to come into that renewed fellowship again. Next week, we'll learn more about uh, God's covenant with Abraham and how that furthers his vision and his uh, created, um, just his world. Um, Y'all, we sang this last week, and this was was like an abrupt, um, I didn't put a a buffer slide in there. Um, But this is Genesis 1 through 3, and then as we move into next week and the covenant relationship that God um, institutes with Abraham, we see that this really is the beginning of um, just a, the covenant relationship of God with, with all of creation. Israel, we are adopted heirs with the nation of Israel. And so as, as Allison um, unpacks that with us, it'll be an important process is because this is, you'll see how this all builds to this future kingdom that we see in Revelation. Um, so thank you for your time and your study in this. We sang this last week. Um, I told someone on Wednesday night that I wouldn't um, ask us to sing this every week, but maybe I will because um, I love hearing your voices, but also to sing this even today after reading Genesis, it carries different um, value. Um, it carries different depth. And so I don't know, this pack is on my back. I don't know that I can turn it off. Um, you do not want to listen to me sing. Um, let's see. Um, I'm going to see if I... Okay.